Blog Talk Radio. Now, it wouldn't be Halloween if we didn't have a certain special somebody kicking things off. of Wrestle Radio Network. Oh, and by the way, we have the co-host with the most. It's, I try to make it sound cheesy, but you know what? Well, you know what? <laughs> Before I do that, wait, no, it's too late. Too late, Brian Reels. Too late. I'm in the Halloween mood, man. It's just one of them nights, okay? Please welcome to the show the one, the only... Dig him, dig him not, dig him, dig him, yes, dig this madness. Pizza Simpson, come on down. Here we go. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for the warm intro. Let's get right into it, brother. I just got done watching an explosion match (laughs) after... uh, after, uh, you know, uh, AEW tried to do it and it kind of petered out, Onita was quite offended and wanted to do one in America, so he did one here, and tonight it was pretty funny. And uh, so 
when Matt Tremont, who made his who made his comeback after a, a nice year year long retirement, when he hit the freaking explosion, instead of just like a normal, just good loud bang, a bunch of fireworks went off. So it just triggered it triggered like a five minute long firework display in the middle of the match. So they just really wanted to make sure that they had no bullshit on this one. Yes, yes, yes. But it, all in all, it was a big weekend for Matt Tremont and H2O as they had a nice little wrestling tournament for the kids. You know, they got they had a nice little tournament to get the, to get some action. The next night was a nice death match for a death match show for the uh, freaks in the crowd, and they capped it off with a big ass. A big ass explosion. So, uh, kudos, 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 Matt Tremont. Not to sound like Roddy Piper here, but what is this professional wrestling going to tournaments? My goodness, what is this? The final four? WWE is King of the Ring, then Queen of the Ring. Then AEW's got the World Title Eliminator Tournament. Now we've got death match tournaments. These Louises. I love it. So, let's go. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, it was a pretty wild weekend. Uh, let's get into some sad news. As uh, Ring of Honor was just announced to be, was just announced to be going on hiatus for a long time. Not until what was it? I think April of 2022 is when they will vow their return. You know. I think that uh, I don't hold my breath, and I'm going to be a little bit more pessimistic, and I don't think they're coming back. I think this might be it, my friend. That's sad because Ring of Honor has got a rich history. I mean, guys, not just guys from WWE, but also some people from AEW and various other promotions came from Ring of Honor. So this is really sad. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, really, Ring of Honor has had a major influence on professional wrestling, professional wrestling history, and really produced a lot of talent and gave a lot of guys a lot of places, uh, gave guys a lot of play, uh, a place to work and hone their skills, and you know, kind of be in that little bit of that limbo area where they could kind of find themselves again because Matt Hardy went there. Christian was there for a little while. Mick Foley had a stop in that, in that, in Ring of Honor. So it's really sad to see them, their history being in the air right right now. And uh, the reason I'm not so optimistic about them coming back is because they're not being they're not owned by anyone in the wrestling business. They're actually owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. And if it's it's a business thing at that a business move at that point, and if they're not drawing and it's not making money and it's just a waste of money, then that might be it, my friend. You know the sad part is guys like um, well, you would see here. There's a long list, folks. Uh, Jay Lethal, Brutal Pub Evans, Cheeseburger, so just to name a few. Uh, Samoa Joe come from there. Sami Zayn. List goes on. I'm not gonna fucking sit here and you know go on down the list. But for them not to be a part of this wonderful thing that's going on with professional wrestling, like um, AEW and WWE, the, you know the two big ones, 
you know, MPJW is doing great shit too, but I mean, to, to lose somebody that's like your, your basically the extension of, of outside of professional wrestling and not, you know, it doesn't get much attention because you're right. It's owned by Sinclair Broadcasting and they didn't have someone step up to the plate and say, hey, you know, I'm going to take ownership. So I'm kind of having, well, not kind of having, I'm having my doubts also because that company has been around since, what, 2002? Mhm. It's just it's just really sad. I mean, I mean, I'm sure the wrestlers there, some of them are gonna have homes, and there's been speculation that AEW might step up and take ownership of them. Like, I don't know, dude. I I really honestly don't want to speculate and say, oh yeah, well you know th- this source said this, and I've read somewhere that someone said in an article that AEW might. Uh, I don't think so though. <laughs> What I read, what I read is I re- I, I might have read the same thing, and I could I could uh, branch out a little bit into that. I read that Tony Khan was basically interested in all the like, basically like the ma- all the main main event guys, Jay Lethal, the Briscoes, and a few of those guys, and picking up their picking up their contracts and whatnot. And if if they're able to pick that up, pick them up, that would be a huge, that would be huge, 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 huge. But I don't think that would be so great because um, AEW doesn't have the best track record at knowing how to utilize the stuff that they have already. I think, you know, that would be kind of lost in the, sh- I think some of those guys might get lost in the shuffle and some might not be able to be used well or their fullest potential. So, it's yeah, it's too early to speculate on what to what to say what to say there, but it it already has been announced um right now since guys are still under contract until until um the end of the year and some are going are um under contract until March, they can appear on they can appear in some independence except for places that have TV. So no impact AEW or WWE until their contract officially runs out. So it's definitely going to be interesting come the beginning of the year and come WrestleMania season. So let's keep our eyes open on on that. And also what what Uncle Dave Meltzer said. He said when when Ring of Honor comes back, they're going to be coming back with non contracted talent. So let's 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 not hold our breath. But again, I'm not holding. I'm not. I'm not too pessimistic, or I'm not too optimistic for that. But um, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna touch on before we move on from Ring of Honor is so rumor has it that the tape library is up for sale. Now that's a bad sign if the tape library is up for sale because. That sounds like the company is purging. That sounds like the company is purging their 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 assets, and so that what that where that can go is the tape library could land in AEW's lap because they are talking about they are talking about starting their own streaming service, and they would need the content and making um ring of uh, signing ring of honor signing that library would definitely be a power move 
I also think WWE could swoop in and like because we touched on how so many guys passed through from Ring of Honor has landed in WWE, and I could see them wanting to, wanting them to pick up that that tape library to put on certain shows and certain matches on the network. So time will tell. You got anything to you got anything to uh, add to this Ring of Honor discussion before we move on to the next piece? Well. I mean, in closing on uh, this whole Schlemiel, this shit's become, uh, I mean, it's kind of sad, and I, I don't want to point the fingers, because, I mean, to be honest with you, has anybody kept up with Ring of Honor stuff? I mean, other than seeing highlights on Facebook or Twitter, well, or, I mean, I saw in Riccoboni's well, statement, oh, sorry. No, I'm. Uh, let, let me let me let me let me expand on that. Um, Ring of Honor was doing fine. Uh, was doing fine considering for, for, for up until the pandemic, and so when the pandemic hit, they went to they went to um, uh, crowd or uh, you know uh, matches with no crowds. And so then when they were bringing guys in, that means that they were putting guys up in hotels for two weeks because they had to be quarantined and they were paying people all through the pandemic. So they were, they were losing money. This, this, the pandemic was really bad for Ring of Honor was what I was trying to say. And that's true because Ring of Honor before folks had, well, the current roster in AEW right now. And when the decision was made by Cody Rhodes, like, hey, you know, it's time to branch out do my own thing. I mean, Ring of Honor had a wonderful show at the Garden around the time I went to Mania 35. I went to that show. And I can tell you, it was amazing. I mean, when they had the key players, when they lost the key players, like, or the key guys, my bad, let me rephrase, this is not NFL, MLB, when they lost guys like Cody Rhodes and Omega and Jericho and, like I said, the mainframe for AEW, currently speaking, that kind of fucking killed what momentum they had going. And now that, like my partner said, the pandemic happened and it kind of just sucked the, it, you know, just not sucked the air right out of them. It, it pulled the rug right out from under them and where we're sitting right now, I'm going to end it as hopefully they come back, but I'm not holding my breath. Okay. So you want to get? Do you want to get into SmackDown or do you want to get into AEW? Ooh, <laughs> I just want to briefly skim over SmackDown. There's no, there's no room for like a full on like, you know, hey, let's let's just take a gander if I can find where it's put. Ah, here you are. Okay, so yes, I'm going to talk SmackDown Live before we get into AEW because we have much to cover uh, in a short span. So, you know, the one person causing this thing, you know, an open challenge for SmackDown Live. Let's let's negate all the drama before this lady. Okay, Charlotte Flair, the epicenter of controversy in WWE. Open challenge because she is now officially on the blue brand. Rules were after Crown Jewel, all the draft folks are going to end up on the respective shows. Well, amazingly, partner, Chauncey Blackheart opened, you know, 
her and Hart, I guess, and decided to challenge Charlotte Flair. But then current events, Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks of all people and Shotzi. Wow, okay. Um talk about your basic shit starters there, no pun intended. Um so basically Shotzi had a flurry of offense against Charlotte. Charlotte but just, you know, off of the distraction from Shotzi and Sasha's miscommunication. She ends up winning the match. And then there's a recap of what happened with Lesnar and Adam Pierce. I still find it funny that their pant legs ripped from an F5, dude. Get a better pant leg. Get, get a better pair of pants, damn it. Okay? Before you it was the force of the F5. Oh, it was it hilarious. Rattled his I, fucking body. <laughs> I still find it funny that his pants ripped on fucking live air. There's been worse shit. Does that I mean wardrobe malfunction of the Super Bowl or this? I think it was funny when Adam Pierce's pants ripped on live air in Wichita, Kansas. Okay, that's just my personal take. All right. So, and then he quote unquote suspends Lesnar, but then he adds to the suspension. OMG, gasp, yawn, a million dollar fine. Whoop de doo. But oh. then, yeah, Paul Heyman was. There and it was funny because they're teasing, they're they are teasing the possibility of Paul Heyman joining allegiance with Brock Lesnar. He said, "You don't think Brock Lesnar will not show up to this show? You don't think that he will be the Beast Incarnate?" I was like, "Wow, um, I don't know who's writing this shit. Maybe a bunch of college kids with less of an experience, but honestly, don't care." So moving forward, um, you know tonight. Open challenges. McIntyre opened his challenge book, and then Mustafa, Mustafa Ali answered the challenge, uh, surprisingly. And um, he, you know, was doing the quick, you know, I'm going to hit you, I'm going to duck and dodge type shit. But McIntyre ended up catching him anyways and ends up beating Ali. And then Ali says, you know, the reason you people boo me is because my name – you boo me because of my name. I was like, what a lame end. You could have said you boo me because – Fill in the blank. That was the lamest fucking post-match promo I have ever heard. Okay. <clears throat> Mad Cat Moss and Happy Corbin interrupted Jeff Hardy in the back, and then it was a promo for a trick or street fight between Rick Boogs, Nakamura, and Happy Corbin. This was an interesting match, I thought. Uh, of course, it wasn't your conventional normal match, no DQ. So, um, let's see here. Oh, Wait, before all the Trick or Street, Matt, so it was um, Xavier Woods. He was seen backstage with Hit Row, who serenaded the current king of WWE. And then there was a royal knighting of Kofi Kingston. But, of course, in nice. WWE, they haven't moved on since 2018. You knew what was coming. The bloodline, the Usos, had to interrupt. And... Uh, that led into a match later on because Kofi Kingston, actually Xavier Woods was the one who said, decreed, I shall make a royal match tonight. I don't know why he's talking in a funky voice, but you know, it's kind of funny. Anyways, so... Because um, he's a king. That's how kings okay, talk. Very royal, you know. Very... Uh, well, exactly. I don't want to... Yeah, very royal, yes. Um, okay, so next up was... Nakamura and Boogs versus Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss. Gross. Uh, dude. 
it wasn't a bad match. I mean, there's some apple heating, there's some Kindle sticks. Hell, dude, this match actually lived up quite nicely, except for, you know, Carrillo and, yeah, Humberto Carrillo and Garza interfere. They made impact, whatever. Who cares? They end up helping up Madcap Moss. Took advantage of the distraction. One, two, three. They win the match. Happy Corbin and Moss. Moving on. Naomi versus Baszler with the biggest screwball, you know, in referee history outside of Earl Hunter, Donya Deville. Who fast tracked the match with a fast count. One, two, three. No one cares. And then that's just. Okay, the Usos versus Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. That was probably pretty good. It was, you know, the it's Usos and Rube don't disappoint. So I think it was, uh, I thought it was a very even, fast-paced match. But then, you know, it just, I lost track of it, folks. So, like, I believe Xavier Woods and Kofi Too much Kingston. Too going on? What now? I have too much going on. Yeah, there was too much going on, and it was just let's do this finish, let's do that finish. I believe the Usos ended up losing that match. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, probably cool. SmackDown. So, folks, get ready to put your uh, seatbelts on because this is gonna get real funky here in a minute. All right. AEW. Let's talk a- oh, let's talk AEW. Yes. Oh man. So, uh, yeah, man. I've been watching the uh, week to week. Um, I kind of end up getting better. I mean, I think the shows are spaced out and spaced out better, and like their best match isn't like the first match, and the main event's actually in the main event. So. After uh, being stuck on Rampage Purgatory, CM Punk is finally allowed to wrestle on Dynamite. And um, I got to really say that uh, this kind of bullshit, how they've used CM Punk, and it's been kind of boring since he's been here. So. I don't know if they're – well, maybe they're testing the waters with him to see where he's at, you know, give him a few matches here and there. I don't know. So, but – it might, not, it might be kind of boring for CM Punk to be doing this, but, hey, good for Bobby Fish. He's coming in and being used right away. He had a match with Bobby. We got a match with Bobby Fish and Punk, and uh, I guess this was just uh, a cold match, but these are just two guys who's been around a long time, and they know how to work, and they put a nice little back-and-forth back match together. It wasn't so bad. But the finish was kind of stupid, so I think maybe they're trying to set up an angle with like, you know, the referee didn't actually, the referee fucked the pin up, and so Bobby Fish didn't actually lose or something. So what do you think, man? I mean, it was a good, solid match. You know, Punk always makes anybody look good. He's always been that kind of guy. I think that Bobby Fish did kick out, and I think you're going you're going for the right thing. I same. Same train of thought I was, because like wait a minute, didn't he kick out? And then the the commentary said, "Well, maybe he kicked out a half a second too too late." I'm like, no, clearly he kicked out before three. But that's wrestling right. for you. Folks. That's wrestling for you. 
Right, exactly. So, I don't know. I, I guess I, it's just good to see Punk not on Rampage because um, that, that, thing that thing's a sinking ship. So, next uh, we got Malachi Black doing a spooky promo. He's spooky, I'm, so most of the shit he does is spooky. So, more spooky shit here. Well, it is Halloween, folks. So, <laughs> I mean, Malachi Black's always been one of my favorite dudes. Um and like he, like he was just because WWE, no. <laughs> Some of his old stuff too was quite dark. So that promo that he said about Cody Rhodes, it took your, you know, it managed to take me a few months just to get inside your head. It took me this amount of time to break up the uh, security in your own family, blah, blah, blah. I love mm-hmm. how he words his stuff because that means it, the delivery's there and the message is there. And it's very cryptic. Yeah, I definitely uh, like Malachi Black's whole whole presentation, and uh, it's definitely he's definitely being used very very effectively here. I just don't really pay attention to promos all that much. Speaking of promos, we got a uh, MJF versus Bryce Donovan, and uh, as as we should have seen, MJ MJF went over. He went over as he should have, and then he just cut one of those, like, old-school heel promos talking shit about the fucking crowd and calling their women ugly. thought it was great in all cities to do it in. I don't care. People who listen in Boston, my non-apologies because what he said about your city was extremely true. Okay, minus a few people that I know of, okay? Okay, I know one from Boston. She's exempt from this, okay? But what he did was he made his points, and he just owned it. It was fucking beautiful, dude. MJF fucking owned it. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. I, uh, I, uh, I like that he capped his shit off by saying that he's going for the champion. He's going to go for the championship, and... I very much want to see him start challenging for the championship because he's great and he talks a lot of shit and uh, he needs to be elevated way, 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 way past what he's doing. But um, I do like what they're doing, what they're going with here. So Sting and Sting comes out and then uh, Darby cleans house and has a um, <laughs> has a bullet. Uh, uh, Thumbtack, thumbtack, fucking skateboard on him, and he's dressed like the Invisible Man, and that was uh, pretty funny. So we got Darby and MJF at the at the pay per view, which should be fucking awesome. What do you think, man? I like the setup of okay, give MJF a scrub, <laughs> and let's just you know let's wait, you know, give him Darby, Darby, because the crowd's heavy for Darby, and they love Sting. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we love Sting, so. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. That was pretty solid. And uh, <laughs> next up, we got a we got a Brit break a Brit Baker promo. Um, I don't really, as I told you, I really wasn't paying attention to promos this week. So if you got anything to add to this, uh, uh, we can move on. No, I really don't. <laughs> I'm sure she was. Uh, I'm sure she was. She was. Put, she was talking shit on Taya Conte, who's her challenger for the pay per view, which should be a fine match. But I definitely see Britt Baker just 
retaining the title there. Uh, next up, we got a fucking wild one with Sammy and Sammy Guevara and Ethan Page. Um, I really like that Sammy's got this belt and he's getting away from well, getting the chance. Page is Ethan Page is top notch, and this was this was great. Dude, the like coast to coast cutter, holy shit! Like I don't know how much balance mm-hmm. you have to have to do that, but like my god, man. Yeah, bro. So Sammy picks up the win here, and since Sammy picked up the wins, there was a whole bunch of stipulations. But since Sammy picked up the win, he called it, and it's going to be five-on-five street fight, inner circle versus America's top team. So we'll probably get to see Junior Dos Santos or Jorge Mansdaval in a uh, professional wrestling ring. So Tony, Tony Khan pulling out all the stops to try to – get some pay-per-view buys. Um, <laughs> Brian Danielson, uh, Brian, we had a Brian Danielson, Eddie Kingston promo, and um, this was uh, this was fucking great because um, Eddie Kingston does what he does best here, and that's still a show with his fucking words. And saying um, he had, what did he say? He had to take Zoloft from, so he didn't kill himself or something or do bad things to people. I know he said something heavy. He said, like, I, I take Zoloft so I don't uh, break people like you. That's oh. why he, what he said to Brian <laughs> Danielson. I'm like, how do you keep a straight face and not, like, you know. Yeah, big dog. That definitely got me hyped to want to see. That definitely got me to want to see their match on Rampage. And Brian Danielson and Eddie Kingston are two guys who's been in the independence a long time. And they, they – I already know you put those two together, and that's going to be a fucking fantastic match. And we'll get there. We'll talk about that. Um, next up was a really good one with, with uh, Cheetah and Serena Deeb, with Deeb really playing up the heel here, man. Serena Deeb is a fucking genius, dude. I love her style of heel because you want to, like, at the same time, when you watch her uh, in-ring stuff, you know, the submissions, the technical stuff. And then she, you know, all of a sudden she pulls out the heel card. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to grab the trophy again. And I'm going to bash it over the head of Sheeta. Or I'm going to just do something dirty, period. I fucking love it. She's got, you yeah, know, man. she's got it. Yeah, man. I uh, I really like Sheeta here. I think Sheeta had really good facials. And she showed a lot of great fire. Um, who Who won this? I think this was uh, I think this I think this was Sheeta. Do you remember? She was one. She she won with a roll up. Yeah. Oh, nice, 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 nice. Um, so we got a promo from Leo Rush and Dante Martin, and Dante Martin looks terrified. So I think he needs a little bit more work, or maybe shouldn't be on TV just yet. He looks fucking petrified every time, and Leo Rush is a natural, and he's always talking, and he's always smooth and poised under pressure. So I think uh, if Leo Rush could stay focused, he'll definitely be a good asset for them, but he just has to stay focused. Yeah, and um, I think that you're right. Leo Rush does have the mouthpiece quality, and he keeps Dante focused. You're right. Dante looks like he just got thrown out of a cannon or shot out of a cannon and just landed on his feet. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, bro. 
Yeah, absolutely. He's a fantastic. He does. He's been doing having. Um, excuse me. He's been having some fantastic matches and does some great things in the ring. But um, I definitely don't think he's ready for. He's ready for the TV. Um, next we got uh, John Moxley beating the damn dog shit out of number ten from the Dark Order. He just it's oh it's like so old school like Moxley, he just comes out of the crowd and I don't I don't want to compare him to Bruiser Brody but a dude is always in a foul mood and it's fucking amazing because why the guy just wants to fight and you know it's the Let's see here. He is in a par- he hits the paradigm shift after a while. Preston, you know, not having any offense. Number ten, and now he goes on to face Orange Cassidy in the semifinals of the World Title Eliminator Matt, uh, Tournament. So, yeah, man, that this was definitely an ass kicking, and um, I'm mm-hmm. glad it was ten and not Orange Cassidy. Next week got an uh, FTR promo and. Uh, I don't again. I wasn't feeling promos this week, so you got any? Do you do you remember what was said there? Well, FTR basically said, "Well, you claim that you're going to win these back from us when you haven't even uh, begun to feel what we've actually accomplished." And uh, Tully Blanchard said, "We made good on our promises. We intend to keep them." And so it was basically your typical. I know you're coming, but we're going to, you know, one up you type promo. So, right, 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 right. Um, so that's cool. I, I don't, I don't mind, and I'm glad that this is uh, FTR setting up. I mean, FTR setting up to work the Lucha Brothers because I think they're going to have an absolutely great match together, and I like that both both teams have managers because I think that that'll be great to see them interact with each other and they're just going to have a fucking awesome match man awesome 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 I'm looking forward to that next up we got Cody next up we got Cody Rhodes and Arn Anderson and uh, it kind of seems like Cody Rhodes is inevitably going to become a heel which I'm fucking looking forward to because I don't like that man and I want to boo him openly well, we we knew this was coming because it seems genuinely I don't want to say forced what he's doing with Malachi Black, but you want to boo him opening. Well, that's not too hard to do. I mean, it's our choice whether we boo, whether we cheer. All I'm gonna say is yeah, yeah you I, know what I mean, I mean man. You I know, know what, what I mean. mean. I know I what I know what wrestling is. <laughs> So, so uh, during this uh, promo, Cody said, you know, said he's never gonna do, never gonna challenge for the title, and yada yada yada, bunch of fucking rah 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 bullshit. But the uh, Andrade <laughs> and uh, Malachi Black attack, and that sets up Pac clearing the ring. So we're gonna get Pac and Cody versus Andrade and Malachi Black, which. Well, won't be that horrible. It's kind of odd seeing those two as a pair, as those you know wrestling before AEW. These two, I'm not saying you can't pair these two together, but it's very fucking odd to see. Oh yeah, at one point I was kicking your head off at NXT Takeover, and now you're my partner. I must watch your back. Ah, uh, whatever. 
That's not that important. I just think this is just kind of a random pairing and uh, just really just throwing guys together, it feels like. Yeah. So this brings us to the main event where we got the Dark Order taking on the Elite in a this oh I'm sorry the Super Elite where we got the whole fucking crew here. So we got the Dark Order who I think some of them were dressed like cowboys, which was kind of funny, and Cole Cabana who was dressed like Brandon Cutlet or. <laughs> So I just I want to say that I think it's hilarious how um, Colt Cabana seems like he's collecting the easiest paycheck he's ever had in his life and working as easy as possible and light as possible, but uh, good for him. And we'll talk a little bit more about Colt as this match progressed. Um, next, uh, we got the Elite coming out, and they came out with full Ghostbusters, full Ghostbusters cosplay, and I, I think Tony Khan... Tony Khan probably paid a fortune to use the Ghostbusters theme. I thought it was cool period that these dudes cosplayed there next to Halloween. Because in wrestling, it's so serious. Like, every match, you have to wear your gimmick and come out and be your character, which they still were their character. There's just characters and gimmick, you know. But they came out, like you said, the Elite came out in the Ghostbusters and whatever the Dark Order or, um, came out as. I thought it was a great main event because these guys, except for my only gripe, is holy shit. The referee lost complete control. It might as well have been a no disqualification match because. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, every guy came in the ring, another guy came in the ring, and John Silver came in the ring, gave his fist, and he got slammed on the proton packs, which was funny as shit. Yeah, it basically became, it. it uh, you automatically knew it was going to become one of those, one of those uh, elite Young Bucks style matches, <clears throat> but um, yeah, as this match picked up, I really, I, no matter how much I want to hate on Cole Cabana, I fucking love that dude, and he turned it on during that match, and he was getting his spots in, and Speaking of Ring of Honor, it, it kind of just means a little bit more now. If Ring of Honor is over, and Coco Bainas was one of those guys, so it was dope seeing him do his fucking moves, man. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, Colt. Yeah, Coco Bana was on fire in that ring for a guy moving around, and, and I don't want to say at his age, he's still fairly young as far as wrestling years are concerned. Like, he just kept doing move after move, not just, like, indie, super indie moves. No, these were like, whoa, I can't believe he's pulling that one out. Oh, wow, he did that. Like, and mm-hmm. he, got, he got the hot tag, and I was like, or, yeah, he, sorry, folks, I'm using terminology. He got he tagged in, and it was just like, I was glued to what he was doing. Because every single thing that he executed it was not botulized it was not oh shit I can't you know I hope he didn't hurt himself because wow this dude's still going oh yeah brother he was working he was working great man and 
I'm not going to start calling like I like I always say. I'm not going to call out, you know, and point out the moves that the young bucks do. Barring their stupid heel run, they they do some fucking crazy things in the ring and some sick ass moves. But I'm not going to be like, oh, there's another indie taker. Here's 50 super kicks. You know that already happened. So, um, getting towards the end of this match, it was hilarious when Adam Page unmasked, <laughs> when he was unmasked as the State of Marshmallow Man and hits the big lariat for the, hits the big lariat so the dark, the dark Order can pick up the win. Adam Page was a big, dumb dork, and AEW has got this guy to being their number one face, man. When he unmasked, the crowd went fucking berserk. It's like, no matter how many reveals they've had with Hangman Page, each reveal's different. Uh, You know, the State Puff Marshmallow Man, that was genius. It was like, the whole time, no one fucking knew, and he's just standing out there, and like, wait, who's the State Puff dude? They haven't really gone to him. And I didn't know. No one knew. So when time came, and... That was funny. Yeah, it was great. It was fucking brilliant. Really, the reel of Hangman Page at the end of the show, I I sat there going, "What the hell? What's the State Puff Marshmallow doing going, or going in the ring?" And then the reveal where Adam Cole they took the head off was a dude wearing a horse outfit or something. Yeah, yeah. bro. He, <laughs> I sad with names. Well, when they took they low blowed him, they kicked him in the balls basically, which is funny as fuck, and then. He, they're like, oh shit, we made a, we made a no no, or we did a no no, which was classic hilarity. And then you see them turn around, and Hangman Page, you know, goes off, and voila, end of show. Yeah, man, and then takes uh takes Matt's head off with that big ass lariat, and the Dark Order gets a win on TV. And I'm not going to lie, man. I'm pretty fucking excited to see this main event, Kenny Omega and Adam Page. They got they got a little they got a nice little story there, and they really did some nice uh, long term booking. Um, so that wraps up Dynamite. Let's do let's let's breeze through Rampage really fast. So on Rampage, they do their main events in reverse. So the main event was the first match, and uh, Eddie Kingston took on Brian Danielson in a fucking fantastic match, man. They beat the dog shit out of each other. Brian Danielson's chest looked like fucking hamburger. But I was impressed with Eddie Kingston and the you know the open open palm strike, the open shot, or open chops, the overhand chops, and. Brian Danielson's technical prowess and Eddie Kingston like, okay, you want to match with technical prowess? Okay, I'll go, I'll, you know, wrestle your ass too. The belly to back off the top. Wow. Yeah, bro. Um, so Brian Danielson picks up the win. I believe he puts him to sleep with a, with a choke of, with a choke of sorts. And if my memory serves me correctly, I don't think they've wrestled that many times on the independence. And those guys are two big fucking indie names. So it was actually nice to see Eddie Kingston and Brian Danielson um, fall in line and have a nice little doozy there. 
And uh, after the match, I guess um, there was a little there was a little backstage run-in between Eddie Kingston and CM Punk. And um, again, I think that that match hasn't happened anywhere or happened on TV. So Eddie Kingston versus CM Punk might be fucking awesome because both of those guys can talk their asses off. And uh, I think that would bring the. I think that's what uh, CM Punk is le- lacking right now. He needs someone to like like that fire in him because Mad CM Punk is better than uh, fan, fan favorite. I agree because if you light a fighter a fire under CM Punk's ass, to reiterate, folks, it's boring to see him get in the ring. And face these guys, which you know they're great competitors. Bobby Fish is no slouch, nor was Daniel Garcia. Okay, sure, but, those matches were great. But you need a CM Punk that's gonna bring out the fucking best in the world phrase for real. Because if he goes out and he keeps wrestling with these guys, there's no doubt about. There's no question that these guys have ability. But now that Eddie Kingston comes barreling in the back and was like, oh, you think I'm fucking funny? You think I'm a joke? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yo, I saw what happened to you out there. You want me to put you to sleep again? I fucking loved it. <clears throat> yeah, bro. Sam Punk versus Eddie Kingston is could be uh, potentially really, really, really good. Um, so next up we got Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. I didn't watch this, but because I already know what you could already, already can tell if you have any common sense on your head that these two did a whole bunch of flips, whole bunch of flippy do's. Um, and, um, I'm assuming Leo Rush interfered on behalf of Dante Martin and Dante won the match, correct? Yeah. Well, no, he didn't interfere like the whole match. He just stayed on side of the ring and really didn't get up on the apron. He just, you know, was yelling, barking out orders to him like, now is the time. And it's like, that's very odd. You didn't have Leo interfere. Okay, cool. So Dante Martin, boom, hits his move. One, two, three, beat side out clean. Yeah, right. So... So um, next, the main event of Rampage. Uh, so <laughs> this was this was a good idea. So we got Britt Baker taking on Abaddon in the main event in, in some spooky street fight. Um, so they bring back the spooky girl to have a hardcore match with the hardcore queen, Britt Baker. I I think it was okay. So. Well, I have basically on this match because I wouldn't pay attention to Abaddon. I was falling asleep through Rampage, some of it. You know, I pay, I wake up and, oh, okay, this match is over. Abaddon came out and was like, hmm, she intrigues me. Luna Vashon would be proud, you know. All this hardcore wrestling shit. The thumbtacks in the mouth is... But before that, you know, the suplex on the table, the swinging neckbreaker, that table is a pain in the ass. I'd be pissed if I was Britt Baker trying to break that table twice and didn't break. Like, who the fuck made this table, you know? Um, the interference spots were obvious. We knew it was going to happen folks. I'm not going to fucking sit here and tell you lies and say, oh, no, we didn't see the other two women to interfere with Rebel and uh, what's your name? Jade something. Jamie uh, Hader. 
Jamie Hader. Sorry, I, I wrote down Jamie. I couldn't find the last name. Sorry, folks. But when those two sit on the apron and thumbtacks basically spit into the other one's mouth, I about lost my shit. That was a, that was an interesting match. But I, you know, Britt Baker ends up winning. She didn't do lockjaw, which is her finishing maneuver, which is hilarious because Abaddon basically started biting the fingers of Britt, which you know was pretty cool. Um, the thumbtacks, Britt Baker took a thumbtack spot, like, I think it was once or twice, and I just, you know, personally, I was, you know, like I said, I don't care what people say, I'm not impressed by Britt Baker, I think that she's extremely overrated, and two, I'm impressed more or less by the, uh, second help, you know, second part of the Abaddon, because she, to me, it's just, they give it, you know, it's eccentric, and is got the eye contact in and her face is all that stuff. And not only that, that girl can work. Whereas Britt Baker had to, you know, she she had to use spots to compliment uh, and uh, enhance the match. But like I said, it wasn't either of those two fault that the table is stupid. Okay. Sometimes tables don't break, but uh, that's besides the point. Britt Baker gets the victory thanks to outside interference. What do you do? And now she goes on to face Taikachi. Well, she'll be whatever. She'll be fine. Taikachi will get her Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu style moves in, but I don't know. I'll probably not watch it. Um, AEW, AEW definitely has gotten better. I feel since um, the since the uh, pandemic era and since they've had such an influx of new talent, they've really combed out the bullshit. And um, these shows seem a little bit better structured, and they seem more like TV and then just matches with no point and no structure. I think that AEW. I agree. Ever since you have. Well, you like you gotta watch AEW, man. Um, the folks, I'll be honest with you. I honestly was reluctant to start watching AEW because of their storied past, which has only been two years. But you know, I've noticed, like he said, there have been improvements with the structure of matches and feuds, and not just okay, so and so like Dark Down is gonna be feuding with Pac one week, and the next week they're gonna drop that feud, in, or not next week, but the Following two weeks after that, Darby Allen's going to be feuding with Jake Hager. And it's like, that's why I hesitated to watch AEW's product because not only were the feuds all over the place, but can you say faction heavy? There was like four or five active factions at the time, maybe not four or five, but three or four. You had the Inner Circle, uh, let's see, forget MJF's faction, what their name, Pinnacle. Okay, Pinnacle. Then you had you had Britt Baker's group that just currently made itself known. I don't know what they call themselves, but you just you had way too many things going on at one time, and now they have a show. At least you know, even if it's ass backwards on Rampage, it's getting better on Dynamite. So. The fact that AEW basically put their best feet forward, and I, I love saying this, if it wasn't for CM Punk or Brian Danielson or Adam Cole infiltrating the freaking troops, or, or actually 
inserting themselves, infiltrating, inserting themselves on that roster, that AEW would be freaking <laughs> laying ducks in the air for a rifle to shoot because they absolutely start repeating stories over and over again in the same feuds, or the same feuds over and over again, and now they have fresh feuds. So, not to be the horse in the ground, not to be the dead horse, but AEW finally is getting somewhere. Yeah, and I'm just not one of the guys who are going to drink the Kool-Aid and just be like, yay, the Young Bucks are doing flips. But, yeah, I think it's going someplace, man. Um, so let's get away from AEW for a little bit. What do you want to do next? You want to go Dark Side of the Ring or you want to go XPW TV? Why don't we do XPW first because Lord only knows... That was oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So, uh, so after watching XPW's Dark Side of the Ring, um, I really wanted to watch some of their TV because I really wanted to get a taste of how bad their fucking product was. Even though I've seen some of their matches and I've had some some tapes and stuff when I was doing my tape trading back in the day. And um, so I had some XPW stuff and uh yeah man, we watched some T V and um first off that opening that fucking opening was so fucking long, it drove me nuts. Well when you have a fucking signature, like it shouldn't look like you just edited it off the fucking computer or wait a minute. It looks like a porno, except for it was CG'd, because the old camera picture it showed big names like Chris Candido, Tammy Lynn Stitch, or Sonny, and then it showed Sabu jumping off the chair in this barbed wire, and then after that, it was like, dude, just shorten the fucking intro to like 30 to 45 seconds, because the minute you lose me is if it goes a longer than, okay, that intro was like nearly over a minute, and I'm Three like... Minutes. <laughs> it felt like it felt like thirty minutes. It felt like thirty minutes, but it was like a minute and like six seconds of of a signature. I'm like, okay, is this uh, extended uh, to a pay per view? What's you know, what are we doing here? Okay, so um, <laughs> let's get into the show. So this starts off, and uh, yeah, like you said, it really does look like. This, this thing was filmed, you know, real porno style. So uh, we had some weirdo, we had some weirdo nerd fucking, some, you know, some backstage guy sitting at the desk and uh, some cool guy named Josh Lazy comes in and, uh, you know, the, the fucking dweeb gives Lazy the rundown and uh, Josh, you know, tells him to get the fuck out of here, and uh, he gives Sabu a call. I guess they're setting up the uh, Terry Funk Sabu match at the L.A. Coliseum. Um, so the first match was Pogo the Clown versus some guy named Carlito Carlito Montana. And um, right away, let's point this out. Let's point this out. The commentary was amazing. The commentary just was made like the it made. The matches go a lot easier. If they would have just had more of a professional setting for that setup, it would have been a lot better. But I laughed my ass off because, like, 
he hit him in the lower lumbar. I was like, what? Yes. Yes. Um, nothing really too much to write home about with the uh, Pogo the Clown match. He uh, wins with something. Oh, uh, then we got No Sour running in. I know No Sour from death matches. Um, Rob Black was in a segment. He was trying to sneak away from everything, and it was really, really, really funny. And uh, this was him pretty much making light of the porno, the the porno allegations that were coming against him from the federal government. And uh, yeah, that was that was true. That was true. You know, that was um, you know, art art imitating life or, or life imitating art. Uh, but that was some some pretty fun shit. Then we got Steve Rizzono from the uh, from the Black Army taking on Kid Chaos in a very 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 indie very early 2000s indie match. Kid Chaos picks up the win with a big wild ass um with a big wild fucking block uh, blockbuster. Nothing too crazy there. Then we got Supreme and Messiah taking Supreme versus Messiah. The so Messiah was uh, whole gimmick was he was the son of God, bro. What's sad is like that whole thing. It was oh jeez. Messiah then, was uh, young. Yeah. yeah, he was young and dumb. Yeah, and the whole gimmick was son of God. I was just like, um, okay, at least you have direction. <laughs> like I'm not okay. trying to, I'm not trying to insult him, but it just felt like he wasn't. He just looks like a kid that came out and said, "Oh yeah, I want to try this thing called wrestling." That's just literally because I'm dark holding folks. He said that he was a part time waiter or whatever, and that he would always gig and have marks on his forehead. So like, the let's see here, I have this inside. Okay. So him and Supreme brawl, I think, believe. Yeah, he, he and Supreme Yeah, they brawl. brawled a bunch. Then you had this Supreme was, uh, pretty light. <laughs> he hit a move called the Holy Roller. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, that was really funny. That always made me laugh. Uh, he hit the Holy Roller, and he hit, hit the Godsmack. This was uh, pretty light because they've had some uh, Supreme and Messiah went on to have a pretty wild feud in XPW. It was pretty much their only good piece of wrestling that they did produce. Um, Messiah picks up the win after a bunch of guys from the Black the the Black Army interfere. Then we got a uh, we got a little Supreme and Christy Miss segment where. Uh, Christy Miss made out with Supreme. That was pretty glo- gross. And then uh, we uh, ended it with Rob Black hiding everywhere, including a doghouse. Yeah, that was a uh, very odd. It was pretty fucking hilarious. But um, this this had a this uh, had a very 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 home video shot kind of uh, vibe. It was pretty. It was pretty funny TV, I must say, but uh, very, very bad. And this definitely was not going to take the place of ECW. That's for damn sure. Some of us said that ECW showcase was very. 
Um, I want to say, in a sense, it wasn't independent. It was like off-brand ECW, and I mean that in the sincerest of ways. They're not bad wrestlers, but they just needed some like better production quality, and I think they could have made it. They also needed a guy who knew how to run wrestling in um, in, in place of uh, Rob Black because Rob Black was a freak and, and a creep and did not know what the fuck he was doing and was probably going to get someone killed. Yeah, the scaffolding match was <laughs> New Jack, a dude who really didn't care about Vic Grimes. Also, not just that match, but... Uh... Public crucifixion of Luke Hawks, and Luke didn't know it was coming, which was really bad, because he found out later, and then he was on backside of quote saying, uh, "You know, you guys, you got some goddamn idiot who didn't care or know anything about what is professional wrestling, having guys take unprotected chair shots." Not only that, this dude was fucking delusional. He started bashing Paul Heyman, a dude who's been around longer than him, who, who started out in this business as a photographer in the World Wrestling Federation. And not only that, had guys, you know, believing in the product. And not only that, Paul, the only thing he didn't know how to do was run the books. That's it. But as far as a visionary and a director, if XPW had Paul Heyman running them, I think that... ECW could have easily merged their their guys a lot better into XPW's division. Nah. Whatever. It is what it is. Whatever. Hi- hypothetical. Yeah. So that was XPW TV. Let's get into this dark side of the ring because this was the season finale and um, I really do think that this uh, this was a great way to cap off a great season with uh, the steroids trial. I for one dude like when I watched this episode and I, I knew that certain names were going to pop up because I have it in my book history uh, the unrecorded or whatever unofficial recordings of professional wrestling history and when it actually aired on dark side <laughs> Um, the part with uh, Dr. Zaharian and Vince, you know, and this guy, Dr. Zaharian, holy shit. He has a suitcase, a bag full of freaking goodies for the dude, goodies for the boys. And he's like, oh, you know, if you don't, according to Warlord, he's like, oh, if I don't have this one, you know, I can easily get this one for you. Oh, yeah. He was definitely facilitating. He's definitely facilitated um, drug, addicts, drug addicts in a time where it was running rampant. And the fact that McDevitt is still alive is like, holy shit, this guy is, he's never ages. Uh, the lawyer for WWE, McDevitt, I don't remember the dude's first name, but I do know that when they had done his segment where he was to represent the WWE because Hogan was involved with taking steroids and Hogan claims that it was because he was injured and he used steroids to help him with his injury. He went on the Arsenio Hall show and said, well, brother, let me set the record straight. Basically lying through his teeth about what had gone down. 
And a lot of guys, this wasn't mentioned on Dark Southern, a lot of the guys took the fall for Hogan because time, Vince, if it wasn't for Hogan, WWE would never have been the same. So, not just Hogan, but Ultimate Warrior testified, Roddy Piper testified. They originally, the original plan was do not have Hogan testify to make him look vulnerable. Because at that time, if Vince would have lost Hogan, everything would have gone to shit. Yeah, let's take this. Let's take this. Um, let's take this step by step. So, Doctor Zahorian was um, got in trouble because he was sending guys drugs in the mail. That's fucked up, what? man. And he got busted for that. He got busted in that sting because they were going to try to sell. They were going to try to. They were going to try to set up something where he was going to give drugs to a bunch of kids. That's fucked up, man. And then, yeah, man, it was definitely clear that WWE was trying to protect Hulk Hogan, and um, he was definitely and clearly fucking lying. But what I really thought was funny was Vince McMahon, Wade Keller, um, John Arezzi, Dave, uh, Dave Melter, all on all on Phil Donahue. It was hilarious to see a bunch of wrestling marks just going at Vince McMahon, who was so disgusted to be in the fucking room with guys like that. Hilarious, man. The fact that uh, Vince had told Melcher, don't tell anybody about, you know, what has been said to you. Of course Meltzer's not going to keep his trap shut. And we have guys like Bill Mushnick, a New York Post columnist, you know, talking about the severity of what transpired between Dr. Zaharian and the transactions made between him and Hogan. Of course, they're not going to take the main event guy down, but the funny thing was, John Arezzi said something that kind of caught my attention, and he said, two guys showed up at my house and my mom answered the door and said tell him he lives in a very dangerous neighborhood then mcdevitt is seen the next scene next segment on dark side going oh you know no one even cares about uh what genres they, they get they these guys have vivid imaginations i'm like wow well, they know, said the mafia the they sent some guys to the to this uh, to this dude's house to fucking scare, to, uh, to scare him. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. I would definitely say that after uh, Zahorian went down, because he was going to go down for the for the for being caught on tape, Phil Mushnick definitely got got Vince in trouble, he, or he definitely got Vince on somebody's radar with his just writing about this whole thing. And uh, this goes to court, man. How about that? Vince went to court, and the guy had a neck brace on. How funny. Vince, before his days on TV, not known as uh, not being known as the owner in the early 90s and being revealed as the villain at their Montreal screw and this court case, folks, he was portrayed as the babyface because he was sitting in a restaurant the day or the night before trial, and you look at what Vince was wearing, and he's like, come on, you know, really? You're going to try to get empathy from the entire jury wearing a neck sympathy. brace? Yeah, sympathy, yeah. 
And the funny thing was, well, what was it Sean O'Hare or whatever? The prosecutors who cross-examined basically said, you look at this guy, he's an embarrassment. He doesn't respect professional wrestling. That was the undoing, folks. They won based off the fact that they, the defense team, McDevitt, and the other cross-examined lawyer had driven them to the point of insanity where they went off on them. And they said, he doesn't have any respect for you. He doesn't have any respect for pro wrestling. And yeah, it, it, re- it was a lot of stuff, man. They brought Nails out and Nails who already had a problem with Vince McMahon. That was a bad, that was not a good idea. And it definitely sounded like Dr. Zaharian was coerced into saying what he was saying on the, on the, on the stage or on the, on the uh, trial. But, um, Man, McDevitt saved the fucking information, saved the whole case with the uh, with the uh, drug information and all that stuff. McDevitt definitely, McDevitt definitely saved Vince's ass, man. Vince, Vince escaped a lot. Um, that was a, this was a crazy fucking, this was a crazy case, man. And, and uh, it definitely changed the way WWE kind of operated for a while. Well, they couldn't have Hogan, you know, like they, in 93 and then 94 when Hogan just went away. The audience had had enough of him, okay? Hogan and his – like they even said it on Dark Side of the Ring. Like Hogan's, you know, thin deterioration, they, they, the WWF was forced – to bring in guys that were not your stereotypical muscle-bound, Greek god-looking type dudes. Like, you know, you had a good group around you. It's funny. Even the Warlord was in on this episode. Uh, B. Brian Blair, who seems to love Dark Side of the Ring. I don't know if he does or not. It's like he was a part of that whole thing because he was a part of the um, investigation. And he said he got um, two knocks on the door saying, hey, you know, we have evidence that You've been getting uh, drugs shipped to you via FedEx, which, like you said earlier, was extremely messed up. Because even right, B. Brian Blair said, people don't understand like the pressures of looking great, losing your spot, and you know on the card because you have to look your best, you have to do the best. And in the same token, like I think it was crazy in, in my opinion because they described what they did to Dr. Zaharian before he went on the stand to testify. And I'm just laughing going, wow, you put this guy in solitary confinement and then you showed him like for weeks on end and then you pull him out and you ask him questions. Do you remember selling drugs to Vince? And at first he says, no, or it was, do you have, remember having a conversation with Vince? And he said, no. And then they asked him again and like five minutes later, he said, "Oh yeah, I do remember having a conversation with Vince." It was fucking weird. It was crazy. Yeah, bro. What's next? Oh, let's see here. So, <clears throat> oh goodness. I guess, folks, you know, we could go with a little thing called off the rails. So, the Halloween edition, folks, <clears throat> let me introduce you to this little thing called 
Off the Rails Uncensored is a trademark podcast. It was coined the phrase Off the Rails Uncensored on March 7, 2016. In the production of Off the Rails Uncensored is punishable by law, and you can find $45. And trust me, I know there's some people out there saying, oh, we went off the rails. I don't give a fuck. Time for the fucking show. Let's let's just take a step back, folks, and um, talk right down to earth. In language here that everybody and anyone can understand. I Halloween edition spooky bookie boogie boo. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Okay, so I took some time, folks, to find a few things to talk about. One of the things that kind of came across my uh, visual was Mick Foley not being too fond of the character Mankind. Kind of takes you back because Mick seems like the kind of guy that wouldn't mind you know, doing any character. I mean, after all, I had multiple wrestling personality disorder, which I enjoyed. You know, <laughs> the characters introduced do love, uh, let's see here, Cactus Jack, which has always been around, but then became one of his personalities. And then, of course, you have Mankind, and then you have, well, Mick Foley. According to what I read, it says here, I hated that character because the mask, it was so... Well, it constricted my breathing. It says, with the feather underneath the nose, I need as much oxygen as I could suck in. Not only, you know, he talks about the mask, but then it says, all right, it said, uh, but it came because Jim Ross was a big advocate of mine. And Mr. McMahon was never interested in me. He thought I didn't look like a star. And then finally my name came up in 1995. Um, And then it said, uh, all right, I'll bring him in. And then uh, also it says, but I'm covering up his face. See, Vince has had a history of not being for certain guys. And then later on, as the years progress, he warms up to the idea. He's very much got a business boner for big dudes. I'll just fucking say it. Okay? Mick is a big dude, but, you know, he wasn't the most handsome or charismatic, you know, like a Shawn Michaels or I'm not saying Razor or Diesel were any good looking dudes at all. And that's just speaking from personal viewpoints, but, um, and then he says, so I was able to inject a lot more realism into the character when it was really the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The stuff mankind did with Dwayne Johnson when he was my opponent and then he was my partner was really fun and memorable stuff. Uh, luckily, we were taking people's minds off their problems, and they still remember the stu- uh, some of the stuff from 22 years after the fact. 
So um, this is what, you know, catches my attention on this whole subject. Mick really wasn't fond of that character aspect of his career because you look at back in WCW, you know, Cactus Jack and how he would just do crazy shit with Vader and how he would just fly off the hinges as a crazy fucker because that dude would take any kind of bump, I mean, on the step at an arena. He even was seen um, quoted on Dark Side of the Ring. He was like... Well, B. Bryce Blair asked him, what do you think you're doing? He's like, oh, no. See, this is Herb's show. No one pays attention. Well, you can do whatever the fuck we want. Mick was just a very much a free spirit. So, like, about the whole thing with what he's saying about the Mankind character is most of the time you're doing your best at portraying a character. And you're waiting for these few golden moments where, you, you know, you are that character. And he says... So you're not even thinking about what you're going to do. I didn't know, for example, that I was very verbal in the ring. I would know by watching it. Verbal as in I made lots of noise and I had no game plan to do that. I didn't realize I was doing it while I was in there, especially with mankind. I made a lot of noise, especially female tennis players. You know, they can be very verbal when they're, you know, playing they don't necessarily realize it when they do so. So, yeah, so I did my best to give an authentic performance, and there were times where I felt like I was that guy. Um, and then he says, as because Stanford Mankind is brutal, um, bloody, a bloody match between he and The Rock took place at Royal Rumble 1999. Okay, so Mankind was handcuffed. I remember that one. Rock hit him a bunch of times. Unfortunately... One of the times where I felt like The Rock was really The Rock and I was really Mankind was the I Quit match. Um, so we were trying to do something special and goes on to say, um, uh, we don't have a lot of people who ask about that match because it's really uncomfortable. It's not fun to watch. I do agree with him on that, uh, from that aspect. It was definitely odd for me to watch the empty arena match between him and The Rock, but also, folks... The I Quit match from 99 uh, and his Hell in a Cell match with The Undertaker was probably like the most talked about match in Mick's career. I hate to say it, but The Undertaker versus Mankind and the point in which Mick gets thrown off the cell onto the commentary table to the outstable was just unreal. Um, the fact when he got chokeslammed through the cage through the mat because Terry Funk told him, well, you know, you should start the match on top of the cage. Terry didn't think he was going to listen to him. Anyways, um, it says the hardcore legend admits that he had concerns regarding his health in particular, possible long-term effects to his brain. He goes, yes, I do worry a lot. I think we all, we're all in the same boat. We're all, yeah. It's hard to make that decision. It's hard to realize you've lost the step before other people realize you've lost it. Um, it's also tougher still for a wrestler because unlike baseball, basketball, or anything to deal with MMA and boxing, like once you've lost that something, you're never the same person again. But in wrestling, guys go on to sometimes come back a little stronger, controlling the crowd, and working the match in ways they could not do it. I mean – in a more positive ways when they did have 100% of their physical attributes. And so it becomes really difficult to convince a wrestler that 
their best days are behind them because we all feel like we have one more great match left in us. So what he's saying is he didn't quite like the Mankind character because it wasn't it wasn't like he was Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Diesel, Razor, Vader, but he made the character grow on Vince years years down the road because didn't fit ninety five because look what you had running him running in that group of guys. <clears throat> you had guys like Owen Hart. You had managers like Jim Cornette. And where does mankind fit in among, you know, guys like they're still there in the company, like Jake the Snake Roberts and stunning Steve Austin, who was about to transpose his character, transform into Stone Cold Steve Austin. You had guys running around like Savio Vega, Jeff Jarrett, tagged things like the Smoking Gun. So, yeah, a character like mankind was kind of like introducing... you know, an unknown into, like, a pool of knowns. So, to wrap this up, Mick Foley fond of the whole... He wasn't too fond of what he was given, okay, folks? It's never it's never easy in wrestling when you're handed a character description like, okay, this is what you're going to be, this is what you're going to be about. Mick wasn't given that option, but obviously later on down the road, look what Mick became. He was able to evolve his character, and though he came back, you know, in periodic, you know, appearances in WWE, we're never too sure whether or not we like our character, but if it grows on us, if it grows on the promoter, cool. I got something interesting for you guys. Um, There's something I didn't know about, but um, so we're going to switch gears, if you will, for a little bit from a guy that's the world champion on the red brand, Raw. He's from the New Day, Big E, basically spoke with the Breakfast Club about um, he when he first signed with WWE. It said that he was making five hundred dollars a week. I got signed in two thousand nine. I was under a WWE contract, but I wasn't on TV. I was assigned to the developmental system. At that time, I was making $500 a week. We're talking about twenty-five or 26000 a year. Not much money. So um, the money definitely went for me when I got to the main roster. We have certain people who might be making 300000 We also have certain people who are making millions of dollars. I've been fortunate enough to be – I'm taken care of. That's crazy to think that somebody only made $500 a week. I mean, considering that's more than guys on the independents make or less than the guys on the independents make now. But that's insane to think that an individual who wasn't really signed 
or not sign. <clears throat> a guy that was in WWE is making $500 a week. That's $26,000 a year. That's the same as having a regular paying job, an hourly paying job. That's less than an hourly paying job. Imagine that. That's less than what Walmart employees make. And that's on average for a biweekly paycheck. So considering the fact that he said we have some people that make this, we have some people that make that, really cool, I thought, for somebody to reveal that, you know, if you think we make millions of dollars right away, think again. So that just that's just mind-blowing for somebody to make that amount. Well, I think that'll do it for me. I mean, Mick, who doesn't like or was not a big fan of the Mankind character, and Big E, who made less than an average actual worker. Wow. Never really saw that one coming, okay? That's cool. All right, folks. If you didn't like with good old Brian Rails or Pizza Simpson had to say that I got three choice words for you. Forget about it. <laughs> Good night, toodles, bitches. Got work in the morning? No. Just got to relax and just go about my day, okay? That was not the end. Please tell me that's not how I'm going to end this. What's it really say? Oh, yeah, toodles, bitches. I got to get some sleep. I'm kind of on a sugar high from all the kids or from all the candy that kids did not, you know, take advantage of. All right? <clears throat> And if you didn't like what good old Brian Rails or Pizza had to say, well, then I got a few choice words for you. Forget about it. (laughs) Happy Halloween. Good night. Dig it. The closest person now.